A very happy new year to you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Should we try that again? Happy new year to you? Thank you. You actually sounded like you might have meant it then. That was quite good. Um, I don't know if you made any New Year's resolutions. If we can have the first slide up, we'll start thinking a little bit about what it means to have a new year. 2020 is here. So uh, anybody made any New Year's resolutions? <laughs> One at the back. That's that's it. Okay. Apparently they're not in this year. Okay. Apparently we've had 2019 has informed us all that we should be happy in who we are. Whatever we are, we should be content in it. Uh, I would question that, but anyway, these are some thoughts on uh, how people have regarded New Year's resolutions in the past. So, uh, I love this comment. A New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and comes out the other. This one, many people have looked forward to the new year for a new start on old habits. Some of you might relate to that one. And uh, then this one is from Simon Gillibo, a missionary in Burundi, and he says this, I can't live up to my own standards let alone God's. So I wonder whether we do set those New Year's resolutions. We obviously don't. Whether we think about what 2020 might hold for us. And I wonder what you're expecting in 2020. I wonder what springs to mind when we ask that question. Perhaps you're looking forward to a real adventure. Perhaps you've got things planned for this year which are going to completely change everything for you and your household. Perhaps actually you're looking at a year in which you just have that feeling you might experience some loss as well. You might gain lots this year. Or maybe you have to see things slip away as well. The fact is we don't know, do we? We don't know what this year will hold for us. We don't know what is to come. But my belief is that as believers, we should have an expectation that whatever comes, and we've sung it in many ways in some of those songs we've expressed this morning, whatever comes, good or bad, We should be expectant that whether we can feel it, whether we can see it, you're still moving. Didn't we sing something like that? That God is still at work and that God has things in store for us as his church in this place in this year ahead. Some of you, most of you will know that I'm actually the pastor at Bodmin Light and Life. We celebrate our third birthday in March, which seems scary already, doesn't it? But we've had a fantastic last term particularly, so I'm I'm delighted to look back on 2019 and rejoice at what God has done. We've seen three people come to faith on our Alpha course uh, just last uh, term. We've seen people explore prayer in a greater depth. We've seen people prophesy for the first time. We've seen God heal people. We've seen God move amongst us in some really encouraging ways. We've seen God use us as a church to really bring some transformation into people's lives in the town of Bodmin as well, and we rejoice in all of that. So actually, I'm in a place at the moment where I can look back at what God has done, be excited by that, and therefore look forward. And maybe some of you this morning will relate to that and will be expectant of what's to come. And some of you will actually be, oh, John, if you could see what my 2019 looks like, you might not be so expectant as to what 2020 would bring. And I want to challenge us this morning just to think a little bit about what God might have in store. And what position we need to take as his people to be prepared for all that he might do through us and in us. I'm proud to be a Cornishman, uh, but I recognize that with that comes certain height definition. Shall we put it in those terms? Uh, So having lived in Wiltshire for nearly 20 years and always struggled to find short trousers in the shops to the point of actually despairing with one of the shop assistants on one occasion, it's a joy to be back in the Holy Land and find that there's plenty of short trousers around, right? Little things like that. 
Why do I tell you my intimate details of my wardrobe? Because uh, one of the things that uh, I'm blessed with, I had obviously Cornish grandparents on both sides. And uh, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers, uh, had what was a small holding, essentially. When I was a child, it seemed like a massive farm. But let's face it, it was a small holding just outside Redruth. And my grandfather loved to build chalets on this small holding. And again, that was the childhood version. The adult version is they were sheds, weren't they? Let's face it. But he liked to call them chalets. So he had chalets all over this small holding. And I remember very clearly a conversation with him. I don't think I'd started it. Somebody else had started this conversation. But I remember him very clearly. Somebody said to my grandfather, why are all the doors only about five foot eight high on all of these chalets? And he said this. He said, well, there's no point wasting timber, is there? Which the more you think about that, the more you think quite a twisted that is. And he obviously expected to come to his chalets. But I also remind myself of that story every new year, actually, because I think, you know, what's my chalet, my shed going to look like for 2020? Is there no point in building it any bigger? Because actually, I just expect the same old, same old again. There's no point wasting timber, is there? Let's just be rested in, you know, what's what, our lot. Or should we be more expectant than that? So today what I want us to do is to have a look at Gideon. And Gideon's one of those characters in the Bible that I love for so many reasons, and some of those will come out in the next few minutes. But I love Gideon because he finds, we find Gideon here with a similar sort of mindset. When we meet Gideon in Judges chapter 6, we find that he's placed himself away and he is threshing the wheat in the wine press. Now, just in case you've missed that bit, you don't normally do wheat in a wine press. In a wine press, you normally do? Okay, just checking you with me. Have a look at this. Shall we read it together? This is Judges chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abbasrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. If you're familiar with the story, the Midianites had raided the land and the Israelites find themselves hiding in caves. The reason that our dear friend Gideon here is found in the wine press threshing his wheat is because every time they produced the crops, the Midianites would come in and destroy them. They had such a hold over the Israelites at this time. But you see with Gideon, the fact that he's in this wine press suggests that he's resigned himself to the situation. He's recognizing that the Midianites are in control. Things could never get better. Why don't we just get on with it? Why don't we just accept it? And a new year can see us do the same. We can sit here and think, well, yeah, 2020 will just be the same old, same old again. 
One of the things that we do in Bodmin is we're advocates for a charity called Acts 435, which is a crowdfunding website. It enables us to request up to £120 for various people. We do carpets and curtains and all sorts. Three days before Christmas, I met three people. One who'd been homeless for 30 years and has now got a flat in Bodmin. He'd seen five people murdered in his time on the streets in front of his face. We managed to find him some money for a washing machine. I went to see him to deliver some extra money in a hamper on Christmas Eve. And I said, if there's anything else you need, give me a ring. He said, I haven't got any credit on my phone until I get my benefits in a week on Friday. All right. And thanks for the hamper, because other than that, I've got no food for Christmas. And then I went home to my Christmas dinner. I met two other people that week, one 22 years old. It's scary when their date of birth is very near to your own daughter's. A 12-month-old daughter. And basically he says the same story. I've got nothing except what I've got in the cupboard for Christmas. And then another lad, 18 years old, who's been sofa surfing since the age of 16. Amazingly, all of their money's just come in on the Acts 435 website over the Christmas time. And I went to text them the last couple of days to say, your money's in, and I went, Happy New Year. And then I deleted it. You see, for some of the folks that we're dealing with, and we see it here in the food bank, don't we? People come in literally with that last pound in their pocket, or may not even be that. Is it a happy new year? Can we have that expectation? Can we just go, oh, doom and gloom, perhaps we should all just retreat away and accept their circumstances are never going to be better? You know, the joy is in Bodmin and here, we're at the forefront of it. Through the work of Acts in Bodmin and through the work of the food bank here in St. Austin, we're at the forefront of it. Surely that's where God would want us to be, isn't it? Right in the middle of the action. Bringing that hope. Cutting in. And this is what happens exactly and precisely in the story of Gideon. The Lord breaks in and he says to this scared little Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. If ever you thought God was an estate agent, here is evidence of it, okay? He sees the potential in anything. So he looks at Gideon hiding away and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Think about it for a minute. Isn't this just great news? Folks, if you're in the wine press this morning, you're hiding away. God doesn't come and say, oh, sorry to see you hiding there. He comes and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Look at the order of that. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Not mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. But our starting point is that the Lord is with us. As we go into 2020, the Lord is with us. The ultimate estate agent, he sees the hope in you. He sees the potential in you and in me. And we may be in terrible circumstances. We may be looking into 2020 exactly as Gideon was and looking at what's coming and we feel we have to escape to the caves. And yet in the midst of it, God says, I am with you, mighty warrior. God sees your potential. He sees my potential. And God is faithful to his people. I don't know how you define yourself this morning. If we did a little poll of how we're doing on the happiness chart or how we're doing on the confidence chart or how we're doing on the expectation chart. I don't know how you define yourself. But I know how God would define you. And hear it this morning that God says that he is with you and that you are his mighty warrior. 
You see, the angel comes and he reminds Gideon of two things. First off, the truth is that God is with us always. God is with us always. And that secondly, in him we find our true identity. Not in our circumstances, but in him. In fact, I sense as we were worshipping that some of us this morning, our, our circumstances are completely defining who we are. And the Lord would just remind us that actually he needs to define who we are. We are first and foremost children of God. We're first and foremost his. Let's be defined by him over our circumstances. I had the privilege of seeing the Star Wars movie this week. Anybody share that belief? Amen. Uh, it was brilliant. Uh, I loved every minute of it. It was the ending of the Skywalker saga. I won't give you any spoilers, but I will say this. It was fascinating and it was all about identity. The whole battle that went on right throughout the episode was this question of Rey, the new hero, and who she was going to be in her identity. I won't give you all the spoilers, but essentially, was she going to be a person from the dark side or a person from the light? And for Ray, it was a battle. It went on right throughout the movie with a beautiful conclusion. Recommend you watch it. Advertisement over. But I wonder how many, how many of us are easily drawn to the dark side as well. That actually, where we have come from, where we've come from, what we've been told we will be dictates what we will be. And maybe like Ray, there's that battle for us as well of, oh, who are we listening to? Folks, if you're listening to your circumstances this morning, just take the opportunity today and into this year to listen to God over your circumstances. The Lord is with us always, always. And we need to find our identity in him. And I love Gideon's honesty in this passage. Because Gideon's response to the angel is that he says, but I'm the least person of the least tribe of Israel. You know, the angel comes and he stands before him and says, arise, mighty warrior. And he goes, oh, I'm a really weedy little bloke. And how many of us can relate to that? That actually, as that angel comes in that majesty, we would be like, but I think you've got the wrong bloke. Maybe not in quite such a manly voice. Let me read you this. You may be aware of this poem. I love it. Someone once wrote this. For those of us who are questioning who we are and who God uses. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. (laughs) And yet these are the heroes of the faith, aren't they? We're going to be defined by our circumstances or are we going to be defined by God? 
Are we going to sit here and say, yes, but God only takes those mighty people and uses them? Then hear what Gideon says. I'm the least of the least tribe. And God says to him, arise, mighty warrior. You get the point? If you join God's people, you join a motley crew. But that's how God does it. Faithfully how God does it. God takes messy people like you and like me and uses them to change the world. And of course, that involves taking risks. God takes a risk on us, and we need to be prepared to take a risk for him. I love the story of Peter walking on the water. He steps out, and it's often portrayed something like this. So you get this beautiful picture of Jesus. You know, he's just come out of the hair salon, and he's, uh, he's calling out to Pete. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm just trying to twist along here, Lord. It's going to be cool. But actually, if you read the scripture, it's a lot more like this. In the roughness. And the waves blowing around. And if you know the story, then Peter steps out of the boat. Jesus calls him. He steps out of the boat. But he looks around at the wind and the waves. And he plummets down and starts to fall. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him and pulls him back up. And I've heard so many sermons over the years that are all about the fact that, you know, don't look at the waves. Keep looking at Jesus. That's the story. And it is. But there's so much more to this as well. Can you imagine what happened that night when those disciples got back home? Do you think they sat there and they went, Peter, you loser, I don't believe it. You got out, you managed about a metre and down you went. I mean, you complete fool. Or do you think they went, Pete, that was awesome, mate. That was awesome. Whole metre. Only people in the world ever do that. You and Jesus Christ and you did it. Goodness me. You know, we can so easily be critical and can so easily find ourselves reluctant to take risks for fear of failure. We can find ourselves so critical of other people when they take risks and they fail. And yet church should be a place in which we find that support, that encouragement to get up and try again. That when it goes wrong, but if we're trying it for the Lord, that we're encouraged to try again, to take those risks, to make 2020 different. Maybe if you sat here for many years and you know God's called you to something and you're yet to actually act upon it, why not make this year the year? Let's regard failure as something that we experience together because we know we're going forward as we do so. The vaccine for polio was developed by a chap called Jonas Salk. He had 200 unsuccessful attempts before he discovered the cure for polio. Someone apparently said to him, how did it feel to fail 200 times? And this was his reply. I was taught not to use the word failure. I just discovered 200 ways not to vaccinate for polio. Do you love it? What an attitude. And at the end of the day, if we're followers of Christ, then we have to take risks. And often that's against the odds. We may fail, but in that bigger picture, we grow. And as a church fellowship, that's so much part of our role is to encourage people to take risks, to allow young people to step up and do things, to enable others to lead for the first time. Yes, it may not be great. I was a youth worker for many years. I used to allow young people to preach. Once a term, they used to, we used to take over this church service. This isn't a church of a good 200 people on a Sunday night. And I used to get them to take over. And we saw God use these young people in amazing ways. There was only ever one where I left the car engine running outside the door in case I needed to leave very quickly. <laughs> and it wasn't a bad idea. It was pretty atrocious. But we took those risks. And we took those together. And, and many of those young people had gone on to serve as a result. You see, there's a choice that we have. Are we going to step back and let others do it? Or are we going to step up and step out of the boat? Because it's not till we step out of the boat that we really see the difference that faith makes. 
Let me introduce you to a little fellow. This is William James. He's a phenomenologist, also phenomenologist. Yep, I thought you would say it that confidently. It's a great word, isn't it? Let's try it again. Phenomenologist. It's about as much conviction as Happy New Year, to be perfectly honest. Um, William James was a phenomenologist. That means he studied religious phenomena. And uh, part of my, my uh, university degree, we had to look at uh, dear old William James. William James was a phenomenologist. He looked at thousands of Christians, and this was his conclusion. Of all the Christians he looked at across the UK, and there were thousands of them, he concluded there were only two states of Christian in the UK. Those that experienced dull religions or those who had an acute faith. Two types of Christian. And you know, I think my experience of being around church for many years is, is, that, is that. There are those who settle for that dull religion, that Sunday faith, if you like, or there's those of us who go for that acute faith that is dynamic, that makes such a difference, that is fully alive. Many, many years ago, I sat in uh, my previous church and I sat alongside the vicar as two people came to talk to us. they just retired and she just received quite a significant inheritance from her mother. And they sat opposite us and they basically said, we've got this idea of taking tin food and storing it in our shed in our garden and then distributing it to those in need. If you haven't guessed, that was Paddy and Carol Henderson who founded the Trussell Trust. They did so in my previous church. And we sat there as they shared this vision in response to one lady who came to them and said, look, I'm going hungry to bed tonight, and my children are going to bed hungry tonight. And now I have the privilege of leading the food bank here, one of over 500 food banks that the Trussell Trust now operate. Just one couple, a retired couple, not a couple at the start of their career, a start of their visionary life of what was to come, a couple who just retired and went, I think God's given us this idea of a few tins of food and the difference it could make. By the end of last year, St. Austell Food Bank, we reckon, will have fed around 4,000 people, of which 1,300 would have been children. That started with two people who sat in an office in a church in Salisbury 25-odd years ago with a little vision that one tin of beans could transform lives. You see, God comes to us and takes what seems like raw material, those hiding in the wine press, and he uses us for the beautiful glory of his name. And folks, that could be you and me as this year unfolds before us. One final thought, and I'll end with this. I don't know if you noticed it in the passage that we read, but there's one line which, if I'm honest, I struggle to fully understand. In verse 14, Jesus, uh, not Jesus God says to Gideon, Go in the strength you have. And it's that wonderful dilemma of how God works with us. He doesn't send Gideon off on some boot camp to prepare for this. He doesn't say to him, let's send you to theological college and get you trained up. He doesn't say to him, we need to work out some of the issues that you've got in your life. The fact you're hiding in this cave, in this wine press. He says, go in the strength you have. And folks, I say this sensitively, but I say it seriously. If you're waiting for that perfect moment at which God can use you, get over it. Because right throughout scripture, we saw it in that little poem, God takes people where they are and as they are and uses them. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect. In fact, as we demonstrated in that poem, if you look in scripture, he avoids the perfect people. And he goes through those who are a bit messed up. 
like you and like me. And he uses them to transform the world. Go in the strength you have. I don't know what 2020 has in store for you. I don't know what it has in store for me. But my hope is and my expectation is that if we remember God is with us always, that God sees the potential in us and that God takes us as we are, not as we think we ought to be, then he can do something amazing in our town, in our county, in our country, and, you know, in our personal lives, that we might see that transformation, if we'll allow him to do that. Let's pray together. Why don't we just have a moment's silence? And Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would come and speak to us, Lord. Father, we come hungry to hear from you this morning. Where we need correction, would you bring that? Where we need direction. And Lord, I pray that you would speak life into our circumstances, Lord. Thank you, 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 Lord. I struck by Lorna's picture earlier, and I... I so I may be wrong, but I wondered whether the Lord was saying with it that uh, if you recall, she had seen a tree that was beautiful and then it became something smaller and then went on into the vessel from there. A tree wasn't ugly. The tree was a beautiful tree. And I just wonder whether the Lord is saying maybe to some of us today as well that there's stuff that we can think of that is beautiful, stuff that we we're proud of maybe, we feel we've achieved with, it looks great. And yet actually... The Lord wants to break that down and break it down actually back to that blood of Jesus again, just to the simplicity of that. And I guess the challenge to us all is not to hold on to anything, but to offer everything as that living sacrifice, as Romans puts it. To offer everything to the Lord. prayer team will be available at the end. I want to encourage us and challenge us too, really, to at the start of this year, let's be responsive. The Lord has spoken this morning. If you need that assurance that he sees your potential, if you're defining yourself by your circumstances rather than by who you are in him, or maybe you're just crying out saying, Lord, I just want to know what you have for me. Then do make take that opportunity to be prayed for and with this morning before we go.
Father, thank you for all that you speak. Thank you that you're a God who is active in each of our lives. And Lord, we pray that whatever this year holds, we would know that truth that you are with us always, that you see the potential in us. And Lord, that you would use us for your glory's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.